We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. I'm Adam McGee. And I'm Andrew Snyder. And you're listening to Make Time for This in the Eurostep Podcast Network, proudly a part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network. We hadn't planned this episode out. We've got something else coming later in the week that we've already flagged up. We'll talk some more about the end of the episode. But episode nine, Church and State, the penultimate episode of Succession, aired on Sunday night. And we thought, you know what? We just got to come right on back. And do another succession pod. Joining us, the very special guest. First thing on to make time for this, like Peter Munyan announcing, here's daddy. It's Newmack. Hello, Newmack. Welcome back. What's up, everybody? Happy to be how are, here. How are you? You I mean, I know you were very disappointed not to be on last week because you're yeah. you're loving succession. I'm loving this season. We'll get into the the semantics and the five thousand foot view a little bit later of this season, but oh man, I love this season, and particularly last night's episode, which is why I uh, demanded we record an emergency episode nine episode today. Andrew, how are you? First and foremost, exactly. How are I'm you feeling well. about another Succession episode? I'm excited. I uh, got to watch it. Uh last night after preparing for the aforementioned uh later in the week podcast uh got home lost the bidding war with stalin and lib barachi for a mausoleum and now i'm ready to uh get going and uh get this podcast underway succession just keeps on hitting the ball out of the ballpark it sure does new mac we'll start with you because you weren't done last week you didn't get a chance to Share, I guess, just your general feelings on where the show is at as we approach the finale. We'll obviously get into the the real nuts and bolts of that based on what we saw in episode nine towards the end. But how are you feeling about season four so far? And what is it doing for you in terms of where you place succession amongst your all-time favorite shows? It's pretty much been every single episode of they They Just Can't Miss. Like... There's been some episodes in prior seasons that have been like 
not filler, but I just like haven't cared for. Like, oh, that episode was just bridging us to the next substantial point of the the season. It feels like every episode this season has a significant climactic moment. And it's really what makes this season probably my favorite season out of all of them uh, so far. Just they just stick the landing on the on the season series finale and we'll be home free for all of the Emmys back in the next year. But man alive, like every every episode has a moment where I either want to crawl out of my skin due to the uncomfortable forced nature of every scene or just left mouth agape given uh, events. So, yeah, really, really, really good season. I was thinking of you when I first watched last night because I know how you feel about things that are uncomfortable to watch, things that are cringe-inducing, and this episode, I think, is right on up there in the succession stakes for some of the most just awkward-to-watch moments, uh, which I personally love. It's it's something I'm all about, but I know you're not a fan of it. I'm not necessarily not a fan of it. I just want to end as soon as possible. (laughs) Like, I recognize I'm sitting here writhing in my chair, wishing to be in somebody else's skin, but it doesn't mean I don't enjoy the scene for what it is. I just sure, like, sure. Would really wish it, it would ha- it would end as soon as possible. <laughs> yeah, okay. I I mean, I guess I could appreciate that view, but I love watching people be deeply uncomfortable. One of my favorite yeah. things to see on TV. Um, I also right, don't know. I don't know what scene in this in this episode was that for me. I think there was a lot more of that in prior episodes this season, but like I wasn't supremely uncomfortable given the like awkwardness of a situation in any of these in any of the scenes uh this week interesting okay we'll work through that andrew did you got something there uh no i can hold that uh to the end because it's more of a a wide-ranging or a broadly encompassing just thought about what the show's doing specifically and what it means overall so i'll hold back all right, well, let's do something that's a little bit different to how we normally do things, because we're not normally quite zeroed in on a single episode as we are here. But let's kind of go step by step through a lot of what happened, and we can talk our way through some of the moments that stood out for us and all of that kind of good stuff. Um, the episode picks up as we knew it would when we finished last week and we got used to the rhythms of this season of Succession. It opens up the morning after election night. Uh, I believe we begin with Shiv watching on in horror as ATN continues to report on the election that they themselves have shaped. And then we join Roman, who is kind of peacocking around his his apartment. He is rehearsing, half rehearsing his eulogy. Uh, Some of it is terrible. And it's just kind of incomprehensible because he's just so caught up in being Roman in reciting it. And we also hear some nuggets that I think, oh, that seems pretty well thought out, pretty well kind of written. I shared my theories on this last week, and I was very, very confident, and I remained so as the episode went on. Um, So I, I guess I was watching that scene play out through a certain lens but let's start there, and we'll we'll go to you, Numak, again, because you didn't kind of get to get ahead of this last week. When the episode opens up, and, like, Roman's just had his biggest win he's ever had in the entire show, and he just seems to be feeling himself. He seems as confident as we've ever seen him. Were you buying it? What were you feeling at that point? 
Um, I was more so focused on how he was being like the most supreme version of Roman. Like all of his just big personality and confidence had all come through after, um, after calling pretty much the election for Mike and last week. And it really, really sets up to the point that you made on last week's episode that like, he's got to come crashing down soon here. It's, it's all way too confident and way too, um, I guess just happy for this to not end quite poorly. And that was kind of just like my initial reaction to it. Just being like, Hey, Roman is on top of the world right now. And he's about one step away from just falling off a cliff. Um, I'm I, I'm jumping the gun a little bit here, but upon briefly rewatching it, just kind of skimming through with some of the scenes in this first scene with Roman, he talks about how um, he asked himself in the mirror, if you see his pecker in Roman's pocket, meaning Mencken's, the president's, and it's just immediately turned on its head an hour later in the episode when Kenlow tells Roman that Mencken has their dick in his hand, not the other way around. And it's just like, oh, how far Roman has fallen in less than 12 hours. So the first scene, all all confidence, all Roman. And then uh, it's the last time we'll probably see it. Yeah, and there, there's also that element to me, the standard section of that was, is when he's kind of, he switches to kind of mimicking I guess the the crowd reacted to him and oh might you say you know you see some of his father in him or which is it's at that point it's like God, he's just a little boy I mean we know everything about him is juvenile but right. we really gets hammered home throughout the episode he's just a little boy he's he's the little boy of the family he's missing his dad um, he really needs his older siblings in ways that tough beat if you're in this family but he's he's just a, a little boy i think that's i was listening much... go ahead i was listening to a podcast from a few years ago that jeremy strong did and he described a lot of the uh siblings relationship with logan as you know they've just taken so much verbal and potentially physical i think they allude to abuse in roman's case to the point where you know the the abuse starts to blend in with what they view as him giving that giving them love in whatever strange way he tries to show it and so to that point all of the things that were coming crashing down uh around roman when it was time for logan's death logan trying to you know logan was a master at manipulating roman to the point where he you know had him fire jerry and then is also kind of giving him that carrot at the end of the stick, being like, oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to need you to come back in. I'm going to need you. So he toyed with both of those sides of his emotions. And then Roman snaps right before he dies and leaving him that voicemail. And then he dies, no closure, no nothing. And then in, in the period between him dying and him stepping up on that stage to give that eulogy, Roman has made zero attempt to process any sort of emotion that would come from all of those events and his entire life and his relationship with his father and his siblings. And Adam uh, called this out last week that all that confluence of events and him being put in a position by himself that he is not prepared for, not ready for, not emotionally equipped for was going to be his undoing. And 
his his batting average on balls in play luck was eventually going to recede into the night and he was going to go over four with four strikeouts and that's exactly what happened on that stage in that moment as emotionally he reverted back to who he was growing up when he was taking all that abuse are you telling me pre-grieving doesn't work <laughs> pre-grieving notably <laughs> notably something that does not work i i mean the thing with his idea of pre-grieving Something that, to some extent, might work. Uh, it doesn't work when someone just drops dead very suddenly. Where, where's the pre-grieving? Like it hasn't, right. it hasn't really happened in this case, and he's completely lying to say it had happened. I, I think Andrew's right, though. Beyond that, there's a whole lifetime's worth of just unresolved baggage here. And honestly, I think, like when I talk about him being a little boy, they're they're all in this state of arrested development. Like that is that is fundamentally how all of the siblings interact with each other is exactly how you'd imagine them interacting between the ages of, I don't know, eight to 16, like somewhere along that spectrum from every interaction you could find it. I think we get an anecdote when Shiv finally delivers a eulogy in this, which we'll get to later, that also kind of plays into that. Last week we got, you know, chicken or steak. All, all of these things are so top of mind and still kind of defining how they view each other how they interact with each other and their their perception of their father, who, even though, you know, the once mythical figure and we couldn't even imagine what he might do, I mean, they've had plenty of years of him being demystified and seeing exactly how terrible he is, and yet none of them could come close to breaking that spell. Um, from having seen Shiv, from having seen Roman, we then catch up with Kendall, who is with his loyal driver, uh, one of the last people soon to be remaining on Kendall's team in his inner circle. Uh, Fikret, I believe, is his name. And Fikret is taking him to a meeting point where he will join up with his siblings and they will get a car together to the church for the funeral. And while he is en route, phone rings, it's Rava. She's saying she's taking his two kids upstate to get out of the city, stay safe, to get ahead of what's coming. Kendall loses his mind. He hangs up the phone. He tells Fikret, we need to be here in three minutes. I'll take care of fines, whatever. They get there and Kendall has, I don't know, it feels like maybe his biggest asshole moment in quite some time because yep. of who it's happening to. I mean, he's doing it to his ex-wife who, like, really for all intents and purposes, the relationship seems pretty good. Better than it should be. Better uh, than it was. In, like, better than it was. One and, two. and also, it's the kind of thing I we haven't really seen the work be done to repair that. I mean, it's, I think it's that... absolutely as good as it could be. Yeah, I think I definitely agree that it's we haven't seen the work for it to be as good as it is. Like, I think Rava kind of came back to this season, more or less. and was like, yeah, they're just kind of around and tolerate each other. They don't really care and love each other. They're more so sticking out for the for the daughter. But yeah, I think she came back and it was just all like hunky dory. Yeah, so in this case, Kendall proceeds to make a pretty loud and aggressive scene on the street with his children in the car, banging on windows, trying to get them out of the door. Uh, not what you want 
just not what you want. Threatening to uh, to get legal involvement to bar them from leaving the city, and then threatening to stand in front of the car so they cannot leave. So just a completely normal start to his dad's funeral day for Ken. I think it was kind of a look into who Kendall really is and that he wasn't really willing to lay down in front of that car to stop them. Like, I think it kind of puts Kendall's brass and how much you can throw his weight around into question as like sort of like a sub subtext and a thread throughout this season is that, hey, Kendall can make threats and he can make all these sort of strong will comments, promises, empty empty promises promises. for his family. Yeah. Yep. And just not follow through with them or not have the will to follow through with them. Like, I think that's a series long theme that's been present with Ken. Um, But I think this is just the latest um, example of it. I also think he was smart not to lie down because Rava is not driving that car. She is a driver. Yeah. (laughs) And as we just like saw in the scene before that, I'm pretty sure someone lay down in front of Kendall's car. Big Crab is just driving. He's just driving through it. That's not not his problem. So yeah, but it's not the person who uh, you're trying to pull their heartstrings at the wheel. Maybe it's a good idea not to lie down, Kendall, because you could have just got crushed. I think this was just another example of a moment where Kendall is not in control of the situation and he desperately wants to be. It's something that I think he craves and then often loses either A, because he was under his dad's thumb because of his Chappaquiddick episode, obviously, that we mentioned. And then last uh, episode, he watches on rather helplessly at times as Roman takes control of the situation and starts making all of these just outlandish decisions that he eventually gives into because of an emotional moment facing Shiv's betrayal. So Kendall just in his dogged pursuit of being in that top chair um, desperately wants to finally get the control he's craved. And we see him like in certain moments do a pretty good convincing job of acting like his dad. And then in those other moments we see, oh, he's the Kendall we've always known who is sort of playing house to a degree. He's the one that I think is still, and we'll get to this, most in, in the best position suited to come out of this not having a complete implosion, but there are those moments of competency that we'll see and talk about later, and then there are the cracks that show, that show. oh, well, he may just be too impetuous and emotional to, to really handle anything of this nature. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. 
Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I think that's the key detail and the key distinction too, because yeah, we'll talk about it. I mean, he goes full Logan and goes full Logan effectively later in this episode. And whenever he gets on a run where you're like, yeah, you know, maybe Kendall is serious and maybe he is capable of this and he's just about to do it. It is relationships and the emotionality behind those relationships or it's his family. That's the stuff that drags him down. And the whole point and what the kids are dealing with and why the show is unfolding the way it is and really why the show exists is because Logan didn't let family be something that bothers him. If if the roles were reversed, Logan's father dies and uh, Caroline, wasn't it? <laughs> at that time, although maybe she was gone at that point, uh, I, I really uh, it didn't get easier to kind of keep up with the full timeline of Logan's Logan's various women in this episode. But if Caroline was like, I'm taking the three kids out of state and I'm not going to be there, Logan would have been like, fine, fuck off. You know, yep. it's, and I, that's ultimately the difference. And it's really what makes Logan much, much worse as like a person in terms of having any semblance of humanity within him. But it's, it is Kendall's failing, is just always he will let his emotions get in the way, one way or another, where Logan just didn't care. It's like, it was all about the deal. It was all about the company and everything else wasn't just second to that. It just didn't, didn't factor in. It certainly wasn't going to be allowed to take away from the most important things for him. Mm-hmm. Kendall, Kendall meets up with the siblings, get into the one car and Shiv decides now's the time to reveal that she's pregnant. Uh, Roma goes on an absolute tear here. Just scattergun again seeming like he is a peak roman like still riding that high he is he is at this exact moment icarus flying (laughs) like that's true he is so high right now he can there's no way that anything could possibly bring him down right yeah those those wings are certainly about to melt very very soon but at this point He's just, he's in his bag. I'm trying to remember now all three of the jokes. There's um, the Wom's gland. The Wom's gland, that was one of them when Shiv confirms that Tom is the father. Um, before that, Roman had, you know, jokes that he was the father. Um, yeah. Asked basically if they wanted to go again. Do you want to, do you want to have a second kid? And then the one I do remember was that if she was going to breastfeed, <laughs> he would have to jerk off. No big deal. It just would be hot. And yeah. it was at that point that Kendall intervened to say, can we please call a truce for today? Just for today. Can we just... I don't know. I guess essentially he was asking, can they be normal for one day? Which, 
Not really. Of course they no, can't. No, not really. I thought it was fitting and kind of a really cool thing they've been doing throughout the season is when Shiv tells them that she's pregnant, you see Kendall's face in the backseat sort of out of focus, kind of like how uh, Greg was last week. Just dejected, kind of looks down at the ground and kind of gives you that sort of thinking thought that he's just sitting here like, man, they're starting a family and my family can't be put together with string and glue to stay together. Interesting. I hadn't taken that read on it. I saw his I saw his brain. It's almost like he short circuits for half a second. It's like yeah. And it's kind of like a double take and he reboots and then he processes that's like, it. That's that's what I took out of that half second look. And we we you and I talked about that later about a different scene in this episode. Yeah, you listen, your brain moves at a different maybe the last line in particular, moving yeah, at maybe. a different speed. You know, you're <laughs> you're getting a lot out of these split seconds. Um they arrive at the church, not without like some protesters banging on the car by and yeah. banging on the car, yeah. Um, honestly, something that encroached less on the funeral than I expected. Yeah, I, I thought with the way it was setting up, this may be something that there is an element of security to make sure people are not getting near it, which if there was, we didn't really see it in that way. Um, they get to the church and immediately Roman goes into networking mode. He is he is on. He is looking around at all of the people there. He's asking Kendall, okay, well, basically let's split the room. Who do you want to get? Who do I want to get? Kendall is not there at all because Kendall, emotional, is dealing with, I'm here at my father's funeral at that moment in time. And again, to what will play out, and I think we'd all seen coming, Roman is very much not processing we're here at our father's funeral. So Roman does um, go and begin working the room. I would say to minimal success, if any success at all. I have watched this twice. I don't I don't have the exact kind of clear read of what the conclusion of his interaction with Frank was. I just know it wasn't good where Roman essentially goes and makes his pitch for, you know, well, if Kendall, if Kendall doesn't have the stomach for this and Minkin's going to block the deal, you know, maybe you and I, and Frank is just like, hmm. I kind of thought that like Frank wanted to poo poo the idea of blocking the deal throughout all of that. Like, I, I don't think he really thinks it's going to get blocked, but it's not going to go through. I just also think he's aligned with Kendall already. Yeah. And I, I think he just, I don't, I think quite uh, reasonably sees Kendall as if God, if if I have to tie myself to one of these children, Kendall is the most serious. <laughs> Kendall at least gives you probably the longest time to have a chance of getting out there with your golden parachute, you know, one mm-hmm. way or another. Um, yeah. I'll talk about Frank a little bit because Frank has another moment that I think is really telling. Frank is one of, I think, the most kind of well-sketched out and nuanced of the background characters. I just think that performance is really, really strong. And as the show has gone on, like, it's not as flashy. I love Carl because Carl is Carl is great for a laugh, but Frank is definitely, to me, he might be the smartest in the room of that group. Yeah. And 
and also just kind of more more attuned. Um, he's he's not completely lost in the game. He can see the real world within that too. Um, where where do I go from here? What other key interactions? I guess the so, one thing I'm, I might have missed is that Tom is uh, Tom is pretty busy at ATN. The New York Times have done a full beat by beat how the night unfolded at ATN with everyone kind of being thrown into the mix named photos tom not really getting the kind of major role in it which the one thing the only show i had with that is the last episode did finish with tom like being front and center named as the problem so i thought that was interesting that the next day's paper he's all of a sudden a background character i don't know um it also makes him mad that it's a background character of course it does which is such a like if you, but if you got blamed once, it's like, well, they've already blamed me. At least, you know, give me right. my write-up, Numak, I think is right. <laughs> we also got a great line from Tom by him not being there, which was, the thing about your dad is he's lost quite a bit of influence over the last few days. Yeah. Which is classic Tom. It was, it was kind of strange having him just be out of the mix uh, at the funeral. Yeah. Uh, which... I, I'm not necessarily critiquing the decision or anything, but it just, it did feel a little weird and almost like, did he have to be at ATN? Maybe, probably, but also like, definitely to not a degree that he could have well, like, to, it's Logan's funeral. Like what? I, yeah. I mean, I know it's but a day the after thing. the election, but I, I think there would be an acceptance that, uh, yeah, senior management of family members are not here today. Yeah. Well, that's why it feels like a conscious choice to me. Um, it because is sure. Tom was so connected to Logan at the end and was really, he was his meal ticket. And it's almost like he's saying, and especially when his conversation with Shiv later, it's like, I don't want to grieve the loss of him and the like potential damage to my career or this uncertainty again. I've already done that. And so, yeah, definitely felt like a conscious choice from Tom that he just used the chaos to push himself away from. Also, I think the, like you were saying, the working in the room, Tom needs to do that to a degree as well, and maybe he just did not feel like he could put his best foot forward given the stress of the whole week or whatever day we're up to at this point. And what are, what are we like in terms of when, his death, like day six or so? Or yeah, 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 something like that. I mean, we'll we'll get to it in a while, but I I think Tom might have won out from this episode by not being in position to work the room. Like, I'm not saying one out in the overall picture to show, but I mean, I think he's in a better position going into next week than he was committed to this week without having done anything in that room. And honestly, I think a lot of people in that room hurt their stock. So um, from from that sense, he is also, I mean, to your point, yeah, he maybe has to have a greater focus on at the moment, too. Uh, And it's not like he doesn't just play it for the kind of the political ends as in within the organization, big picture view. He is one of the only people on the show who takes their job seriously, who actually yeah. seems to go to work and do his job as well as using it in all of the other ways that come with it. So, well, to be fair, he has to. He's the only one like with a job. Yeah, it's true. Like it's also, he's C- from the C- Midwest. CEOs though, don't ever. CEOs don't do anything ever, anyways, right? So, like Kendall and Rowan, kind of just going around talking to people of influence, kind of just fits the the theme of yeah all these other people who are part of the Roy family, they're above working. But Tom, having married into the family, married into 
sort of the, the this big business understands he needs to work to stay in. If he stops working, they'll just kick him to the curb. Shiv's not going to, even last season or season two, going as far back as that season, isn't going to sit there, sit by and hold his hand to make sure he has a job. They will annex him from this company should they need to. And I think that's kind of where he was probably looking at that is that, hey, if I don't work and I don't sit here and do my job, I don't have my meal ticket anymore. It's going to be gone soon anyways, likely, but he can't just do nothing and sit sit idly by. Tom has, or well, he ultimately sends Greg in his stead. Greg is eager to get to the funeral. And then he is more than willing to take Tom's place front right, I believe it was. And when it comes even though to... Peter was so close to getting it from him, well, Peter was willing, <laughs> he was not close. The fact that she was like so adamantly yes to Greg, yeah, like, is 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 just amazing. It's like, <laughs> God, Peter, you really couldn't be any lower on this ladder if everyone's like, no, Greg, Greg can wheel the casket. Um, Greg gets to the funeral, gets his standing at the funeral elevated by Tom not being there. Tom instructs him on the way out the door to make sure he talks to Menken and tells Menken about Tom, tells Menken about everything he did. That certainly sends Greg on a path where his priority is, I, Greg, I'm going to get a face-to-face with the next president of the United States and tell him, you know, I was one of the people who put you in that seat. Yeah. Um, in order to get that introduction, he promises Roman that he'll keep Uncle Yoon in check. Uncle Yoon has shown up. Greg, uh, not the person I would ask to keep Uncle Yoon in check based on the Uncle Yoon-Greg dynamic and just yeah. Greg's general Gregness. But, yeah. Before we get to Uncle Yoon, I think we ought to talk about the mother for a second. Whose name I always escapes me. Caroline. Caroline. That's what I thought it was, but I get her mixed up with Katarina. So, I, I believe it's Caroline, right? I'm pretty sure it is. I've been like, yeah, I said I'm, that earlier, so I'm, I'm I'm pretty sure it is. The all the kids being afraid of their mom is like just I shouldn't say the funniest thing, but it really goes to show just how smart Caroline is, as opposed to. Um, just being the their mom that they don't really talk too much anymore because they're they went to their dad's side, but like mother's intuition that doesn't even say a word. She's wearing a dress where you could probably barely see her bump, and she can just tell that yep, Shiv's pregnant and doesn't even give have to say any words. Just oh, hmm, got it. And Shiv already knows she's screwed. Like that, that she just knows, and I think. One of the awkward moments that I loved this episode that wasn't so much awkward, I was more of just like this bitch was when Caroline grabs Katarina and ha- has her bring her to the front of the uh, of the pews to sit in the front row with, with all the other. Carrie, ex-wives. you mean? Carrie, yeah, it's not Carrie, not Katarina. You're you're mixing up them. I'm mixing up Carolina so many... as well. So yeah, yeah. I mean, you're grabs you're Carrie. Lusters. Carrie, um, yes, right. grabs Carrie. So. But that was a moment where at the time I was like, based on everything we know about this character is like this absolute savage. And then as the scene plays out, and I think dating back to the end of last season, when we saw like her basically turning over on 
Shiv, Roman, and Kendall, is mm-hmm. that she knows what this is as well as anyone can. She knows mm-hmm. what her marriage to Logan was. She knows yep. what Logan's standing in the world was, and she knows how she fits into it and how all the other women that were involved with him fit into it. And rather than it being some sort of power player that she thought was amusing, I think it was more of a a kindness to Carrie, and then obviously it tapped into something that an understanding that Marsha finally was coming to terms with, and it was actually one of the more touching moments of the episode, which is crazy See, to say. But it, that's where I like I was swung so far from one side to the other because when she grabs Carrie and brings her up, like, oh, this is Carrie, Marsha. She's this per- the other wife that I whose name I forget is my so and so, and it's just like. Sally Ann, like I think. what a what a needle. Yeah, it was Sally Ann. What a needle just to to marsh or just to poke the bear. But then they all sit down in the front row together and Carrie just starts sobbing. And they all just kind of console Carrie in that they're yeah, they're all four women who Logan probably treated like shit. And they understand their role in this whole dynamic of a family and the business and they've kind of come to terms with it everybody except carrie who's obviously still grieving but it was just like i watched before i even saw the second half of that scene i watched uh caroline bring carrie up to the other two wives and just like needle her like two three times i was like wow like that's just a a strong this cold-hearted pitch kind of moment right into wow what a caring human to be consoling carrie like this yeah, I think it's a perfect balance because it's not a it's not a moment done out of the goodness of her heart. Like for both Caroline and Marsha, they recognize themselves in Carrie. So it's it's an act of selfishness. It's an act of self-preservation, too. And it's a we've been there and basically being willing to open their arms to someone else who they can see what they've been through in it. Where the flip side of that is. And I do think part of that character too, I, I will not push back on your read on it, but some of it is less jarring to me just because I have a greater fam- familiarity with like that kind of deeply repressed, cutting British personality on TV mm-hmm. as much as anything else. Like that is by far the most British character in the show. Like Peter Munyon is in like a bumbling, uh, almost Boris Johnson-esque way. But in terms of like this idea of something that British people often speak of in themselves of this kind of, we're going to bury things deep and we'll just cut each other to a million pieces and we'll never talk about anything like that is, that is Caroline. And I think that scares the kids because they have grown up mostly around their father who, if he has an issue, he's going to shout at them. Like, and in some cases as, as Andrew alluded to earlier, Roman, we've heard, yeah, you would get violent. So everything about Logan was violence. It was an eruption where Caroline is the complete opposite. It's like, it, she's going to kill you by a million tiny cuts. And a lot just, of mind games with Caroline. They can't take that. And it's, I find it fascinating because they all play mind games of one sort or another. Not with any real subtlety though. And every time Caroline is dropped there to watch them all. I mean, Shiv more than anyone. And it is clearly more difficult for Shiv than anyone with the way the relationship mother and daughter is there and this is a better example of it than anything uh particularly as you then watch caroline like embrace another woman and show a, a sense of empathy and understanding to another woman and yet doesn't come close to that with her own daughter um the the other thing before we get to uncle yoon and we get to the funeral actually getting underway 
um, that happens pre-funeral and really kind of shapes everything that's coming the episode and into next week is Shiv is maybe working the room harder than anyone. And in her the conversations... The, the church. We were really ought to say that she's working the she's church. She's working the room. It's, it is a but church. the room is a church, which is a crazy thing to be doing. But yes, like Kendall asked for them to, hey, maybe just normal today. Maybe we just kind of keep it in check for our father's funeral and everything. And both of the other things like, mm, no. And, and Kendall ends up doing it later too. I, I will. The service was slightly different to what I'm familiar with in this part of the world, I will say. Because, and it, it was very convenient, Lisa, like it would have to be to have everything to play it out. So, for example, at a Catholic service here, everything is going to be basically the same as that, except the difference is the family are arriving at the same time as the casket and they're coming into the church at the same time as the casket and the service is starting. Everyone else is there beforehand having these kind of conversations, chopping it up, but the family are not. So the way that there was this extra time, I don't know, is that just like a cultural difference or I don't know, is that just a convenience for the script? And it certainly was convenience. convenience. Um, Yeah, and it, it works out. It gives Shiv the opportunity to catch up with Matson and to, I guess, get a get a victory lap of sorts for a conversation she had that I didn't mention earlier in the episode, where they talked over the phone, and she again tried to emphasize, you know what, this is the time to get the false numbers in India out there. This is when you can bury them. This is when it won't be a big news story. In light of the presidency and the writing. Exactly. And Matson is reluctant to do it, but he ultimately listens because by the time they catch up at the the funeral, he gives all credit to the Red Devil, as he calls her, um, for the idea as it seems to be working. Everyone, everyone on Team Matson, uh, Oscar, Eva, all of them seem quite happy with how that's playing out. And I guess with the wind in her sails from that, she takes the opportunity to pitch an idea to Matson, which is okay, Mencken is the president. Let's say we can get him to not block the deal. How do we go about that? Maybe it won't be an issue. What if we said to him there will be a US CEO for this company? She puts herself forward, makes the pitch for Shiv Roy being the perfect example of this, selling herself based on her political acumen, her knowledge of ATN. Honestly, I was thinking about this. This is all the conversations we had around Shiv last week and how these are the things she sells herself with and I think on all fronts is pretty terrible at. Uh, Political acumen showed up better in this episode than maybe any other in the series, but overall, she hasn't won out in this department. She gets Matson thinking, though. He doesn't dismiss it out of hand and, in fact, he will embrace the idea as we get to later. Any anyone any other thoughts there or we get to the eulogies? I think we gotta get into the eulogies. So family members are invited forward to uh speak a little bit more personally about Logan. This is Roman's big moment to shine. This is what we saw him rehearsing for. He is not up out of his seat right away. What I do want to say here though is I'm not entirely sure if the show is saying he wouldn't have been able to do this if it wasn't for Uncle Yoon going up and doing what he does first and making Roman sit there and hear 
stories about his father, not just as a like a human, but as a little boy. Um, and we get a few reaction shots of Roman that are very telling with that, that factor into what's to come when it's Roman's turn to speak. I don't know if anyone else have any thoughts on that first, though, or did anyone else pick up on that? It it kind of feels like because Roman was all full of gusto, and it wasn't like once he sat down in his seat and the service started, it's like, okay, Roman is now gone. Whatever that was, switches flipped. It seemed to happen a little bit more gradually, and I guess the thing that pushes it over the edge is when Uncle Ewan goes up and delivers his eulogy. Yeah, I think that Greg not doing his job and keeping Uncle Ewan in the pews and not from going up there and giving his eulogy was kind of the beginning of it. But tying back into how Roman's eulogy will go, the the cuts to him during Ewan's um, words were strikingly childish. Like, childlike awe listening to Ewan talk about Logan and how the stories from their childhood and once he the uh, eulogy sort of flips script and goes in from talking about his life to talk about how he was a kind of a piece of crap human being. You can kind of just tell that he looks, Roman looks like a little kid listening to his dad get reprimanded. Like it's, it's incredible acting for the, for the first part of it. And it's just really sets up where Roman's eulogy will end up at the end of his, uh, end of his stint there up on the altar. I think, uh, yeah, Ewan's eulogy is something that it would just be so impossible for anybody to follow, especially someone as <laughs> ill-equipped to do yeah. that as Roman Roy. It was I mean, really good. It's It was like humanizing to a degree. Like you hear about some of the things that happened to Logan in his life, obviously thinking that a U-boat is going to, sink your ship and end your life if you cough or like feeling guilt over killing your sister i guess and then enduring abuse from uh aunts and uncles or whoever it was i mean and then but ewan wanted to i guess paint the full picture of who he was as a man warts and all humanizing him and showing that yes he is a full person and roman trying to follow that with my dad was great in the truest sense of the word or whatever he said. It's just, it's not going to fly. And no, do I think if he had gone up there first and Greg had been able to wrangle you and would things be differently or different? Uh, I still don't think Roman pulls that off, but damn, he was never going to pull it off after that. I think like a big part of that too, was during Ewan's eulogy, he was looking at the casket. Like he was speaking mm-hmm. to the room, but he did speak to the casket. But then Roman would look at the casket and it all started to become that littlest bit more real. Each time that he would tell a story and humanize Logan, but then he'd twist the knife on one of the um, talking points about how he had billions and billions and only gave away millions. And he in his meagerness that kept him from actually loving his family and loving the world. Every time Roman would just look at that casket and realize that, that this whole pre-creeping thing didn't work, and I'm feeling a whole lot of emotions right now. Yeah, because I, narr- I don't think... Sorry, Andrew. Uh, from a narrative perspective and just character building, I think the, what the writers did with Roman's payoff to everything we've seen him go through the season was great, because we've seen Kieran Culkin get to be nasty. We've seen him get to be funny. We've seen him get to just uh, like 
try and make everything into the joke because he doesn't know how to have a real and proper conversation. We've got to see him be sniveling. And then just to see him unravel at the seams and looking at the casket and the line was, what, is he in there? Can we get him out? That was like, (laughs) go ahead. Sorry. No, no, no. I'm just saying like, uh, I think. Well, get to that that second because I I do want to talk about that. I've I've already had a conversation with Jordan off air about this because I've I've seen that line. We'll do it now. We'll do it now. We're we're kind of we'll we'll circle back because I don't want to just skip past Uncle Ewan either. Um, Yeah. I what I first want to say is I think the three eulogies and I I will say the three eulogies delivered are incredible and absolutely just mind blowing pieces of writing. Maybe Shiv's most of all, because Shiv's is the most believably, this is how a human delivers a eulogy when their dad dies at a funeral, and actually did come across believable, in spite of, I guess, all of the kind of the front that we've become accustomed to with Shiv, and all the things that we as an audience pick up in that performance at this point. The other two just, I mean, writing off the scales, unlike anything I've ever seen in TV. Roman... Falls flat on his face. He goes to deliver his eulogy, becomes a blubbing mess. Um, almost as soon as he's got his little pink index cards laid out, trying to work it out, his delivery to begin with, it's low, it's mumbly, he's stumbling on his words, which even at that point though, I was thinking, and this is something I was thinking last week, when I was predicting that just this kind of thing would happen. He isn't, he's not a good public speaker. He doesn't do it. Mm-hmm. He, there's a reason why Kendall had to go and do the life whatever. I'm forgetting the name of their... Life Plus. Life Plus. Thank you, Numak. Um, There's a reason why he had to do that solo. It's because it's just not Roman's thing. He's never been good at public speaking. He is not a commanding speaker, which is to say Kendall is not either. Kendall starts any public speaking with... Uh, 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 but yeah. he always finds it. He always finds his rhythm and he's quick on his feet and he can kind of evolve. And as as you pointed out, I think pretty smartly, you know, like after Uncle Yoon had delivered the eulogy in the way he did, none of them could just go up and read something pre-prepared about how great their dad was. You had to be able to, okay, we have to reset the narrative. That's what they're all talking about as he's going up there. But you you also just can't deny that stuff. And also, I don't think any of them want to deny it. Like, I don't think Ewan's words were hurting Roman in a way where it's like, oh, you know, he only gave millions of his billions away. Roman's like, cool, that's a good thing. It's just that the more he talked, the more it was, we're talking about my dad as if he's not even here anymore. And he's not even here anymore. Except he is. He's in the box. So eventually, Roman calls his siblings up. All, all three of them, including Connor. Connor had the furthest to come for it, but he worked his way up there too. They all went up to greet him, see if he's okay. At this point, he collapses. Not okay. Not okay. And in a very real and authentic way that I have seen this happen to people at funerals. And I, 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 if you ask me who or what funeral I can't, I have seen exactly what happens with Roman. Okay. As in someone essentially be like, can we get the person out of there? Um, which is this idea of, I'll, I'll get this, this is what I read. So Alan Seppenwall, the great, probably like the TV critic for Rolling Stone, his review, he interpreted that line as essentially, can we get the coffin out of the room? 
you interpret it as or he interpreted it as we get the coffin out of the room. Yes. To me, the second I heard it, Roman wants his dad out of the box. That's what I heard it too. And I'm curious as to how you thought it was, because to me, for, for the writing part of it, I thought was like the perfect that's heartbreaking. Just what a what an awful thing for him to have to think about. But it was also for me a huge comic relief moment. Because it's such a ridiculous ask to get him out of the box. Can we get him out of the casket? That like, as you and I, Adam, people who have been mm-hmm. to wedding or weddings, funerals like this, and having had these experiences both on the altar and in the in the pews, that yes, like clearly there there's no pulling the body out of the box. We can't get him out, and it's sort of that detached part of what I think the Roy's and Roman have from this sort of worldview is that I don't think they've ever really experienced true heartbreaking loss like this, that they don't know how to react. It's, so it's also hear... that they can fix anything. It's when right. they got the phone call to say he's dying. It, it's like, okay, get all the best doctors on the phone, Jess. It's like, it's, it's always, it's like, we, we can fix anything. That's their whole right. life. Yeah. And, and just, and it's also the immediate reaction of a person who's been putting off dealing with this yes. emotionally. Yeah. The complete irrationality exactly. just comes flooding out. And yep. to, like, I thought it was perfect. And I all oh, agreed. I don't like Roman as a character. I laugh at things Roman says, but I have never really, in a way that I, I know lots of people have warmed to him in a way. I've never had it. He just, everything about him basically repulses me. I've never found a, really a shred of anything sympathetic. It's the most sympathy I've ever felt towards him. Because yeah, yeah, that's a person who's just lost. It's their the dad. one spot and, and he deserved it. It's it's honestly it's the kind of moment that you expect someone to have when they're told their dad dies, but he did everything he could to put this off and put this off. And you know, I'm I'm shaping the country. I'm I'm taking ownership of this company. All of this stuff, and it's at that moment that it falls apart. Um, I I also I just I thought that was so fascinating. Um, I checked in with Jordan. Jordan, I won't I won't. I won't name who went what way. In Jordan's household, there were two different opinions hitting one the Alan Sepinwall one and one my read and our read collectively on that scene. I just think it's really interesting that people are reading that differently because I think the the idea of can we get the coffin out of here is the opposite. It is so cold. It's like that's like can we can we literally get my dead father out of here and go on yeah. with the charade of, you know, his funeral without him, I, I just think that's saying something completely different, where I think what the show is building to is, again, the childlike version of Roman, who is just, like, completely irrationally, can we get him out? Can we can we get him out? Um, just absolutely great, great scene. Uh, before well, we go... Sorry, go on, Andrew. I just wanted to make the point, could any other show on television even other shows that were great have a debate over what singular line <laughs> as much as succession oh. could like that's just right i don't know that, that's crazy to me i don't think there's I... another show where like i mean the entire audience i mean like the people who are generally the most casual tv viewers pay attention to the weight of any given line mm-hmm. as they do with succession and again it's just like the show has kind of trained people this way. It's kind of the level of engagement, the level of investment it's got going. And I, I think what I like most, I believe that is a result of 
the jokes. Yeah. I, I think it's that there are so many jokes at some fast pace and you don't want to you don't want to miss a barb that anyone has all along that people get so used to that with humor that it applies for the dr- dramatic moments because the audience is so locked in because you don't want to miss like this is a show I'll say uh, I know it's not true for Numa because he was best shit us throughout it I, my phone is like it's basically off limits when Succession is on unlike pretty much any other TV I'm just kind of like that's it's, a, I, I, I'm making funny in Numa I also I I, I'm there's an exception to that when you're actively talking about the thing you're watching uh, you're still engaged with it but just as a general thing with this show, it's one where it's like, I'm not like, oh, let me just check Twitter or whatever. It's because I want to get every line for things like that, for for all of the jokes that could be packed in. You could easily miss. Like, if you have pay attention to Succession, someone could come out and be like, yeah, I don't know. It's not that funny. Yeah. It's like, well, you're not watching it. You're the show is hilarious. It. Yeah. It's the funniest show on TV. Willa talking about Connor's planned eulogy and I can't remember what she said it's like a free form expression piece or something I can't remember exactly but like even little things like that yeah and that's why we like it so much (laughs) yeah which I just love Willa's theater roots are coming back out she's helping Connor write experimental eulogies um and and (laughs) Shiv's Shiv's payoff on that was that like they could they could kind of get in legal trouble over some of the contents of it so (laughs) If only we could hear Connor's last eulogy. Uh, um, last thing, the thing I messaged you of like lines you might miss when Greg goes up to Matson and Matson goes, "Hey, sexy," and uh, <laughs> that was so funny. Behind, and then launches into whatever he had to say. That's it's so many. I'll gems. see. Gotta say, big Numac Andrew energy in the whole. <laughs> I, I don't want to say who's who, but Greg and Matson, there's there's something there. I think on a given um, day we could be the other one you know just it could just happen before we move on to to kendall's um eulogy the the cherry on top of the cake to quote uh roman talking about his possible heir to the ceo was them he was like i just need some water he's back in the pew i just need some water and she was like begging someone to get water and then they go get him water and it's just the most dejected thank you that I've ever heard from Roman. Like it could not have sounded more childish. Yeah. And that he's just broken and was expressing some sort of gratitude to a, a kind gesture. Like it was, that's kind of like what sealed that argument for me and sort of made me form this opinion was like, I was just like, man, that was, that was a broken man first of a few we'll see in this episode and the same when kendall sits down after delivering his eulogy yeah apologizes to him and you're just like oh this is we're now on a run of like minutes of roman being completely genuine which i don't know if has happened at all in the entire ever yeah history of the show where he's just like oh we've got a maybe run of consecutive interactions maybe during kendall's break in season three but that's even then there was jokes to be had there yeah i don't know um uh, I, the one before we get to Kendall, just like again, I don't want to just like get past Uncle Ian. James Cromwell is phenomenal, and that's like how many episodes has Uncle Ian been in in the course of four seasons? I think it's I looked at IMDb, it's at six, but I feel like I was, gonna, it, I was gonna guess five, so yeah, that's probably about right. Getting an actor of that caliber, and this is what the show has done really across the board, whether it is name, film actors like Cromwell has 
been for a long time or if it's stage actors it is the quality of the casting again the quality of the actors brought in because for that character to pay off in that way for that speech that eulogy to work like it works because you've got james cromwell and i i think there's a real uh, this is definitely something when you think of like <laughs> i guess the jeremy strong lore and what we know of him and his whole vibe when we talk about it being intimidating to follow up Uncle Yoon's eulogy generally, there's also something about having to follow up James Cromwell delivering like that. Which, to pull back the curtain here slightly, I don't know if any of you know this, if you've done any reading or if you've listened to anything else. I, um, Mark Milot has spoken about they, they shot the church stuff in the same way that they filmed the the boat and they see everything around Logan dying where it was cameras basically in as many spots as they could and um, the show is generally kind of a two camera setup that was not the case for the church I believe they went to four they worked out four positions so that they could be rolling continuously from those four spots that they could have reactions that are rolling alive to what's there that you're going to have a main camera on who's giving a eulogy you're just going to have various different vantage points that they roll at once of course the show shoots on film as we've talked about before so they had to have these spots where essentially you're swapping one out to the other and you're just keeping this thing going they shot long long takes they just shot this true and you go again you'd go again uh, i listened to james cromwell on the official succession podcast and he was talking about the experience of it um he was recovering from long COVID and he couldn't remember any lines and he just, he was then told you're going to, we're just going to do the whole scene true as many times as possible and he started panicking and then basically once the camera started rolling he's like, oh yeah, I just remembered all the lines <laughs> I couldn't give you any of them before that, I just remembered all the lines, I was like, great I was like, oh, must oh, be good perk. to be James Cromwell what, what a perk to have Um, but I, I do think there is something real to that too the caliber of actor then feeding into the scene. There is something intimidating about that. Maybe Roman's biggest mistake, you want someone to stop Uncle Yoon from getting up and speaking. You've got a warning already. I think there was one man at this funeral for the job. I don't know if you've got any guesses or any ideas on this. To keep uh, Yoon off? Uncle Yoon, yeah. You need to stop Uncle Yoon from getting up and speaking. Who's the man for the job at the funeral? Trying to think of who would have been there. I mean, maybe, Colin. maybe, maybe Frank. Andrew's got it. It's Colin. I didn't. I didn't remember seeing Colin there. I know he was. Oh, at the, he, at I mean, wake, we. He he's but, there. He, he's for sure there. But yeah. it, that's you've literally got. And also, I mean, strategically, it might have been good to get in with Colin just a little bit earlier in the episode. Yeah. You could beat into it later on. Um, but that was something I thought of. It's like there's only one person who's stopping Uncle Yoon from getting up there, and it's it's Colin. Um. Okay, Kendall. Kendall did I... his life plus thing again, where he was stumbling to find his way early on and then delivered in just a great monologue. Yeah, he delivered the, like, he delivered the speech he's been waiting his whole life to deliver. As such, like, this is, like, he he is the character who dreams of this, which is his dad dying and him being there, being like, yeah, it's all on me now. Like, it is really and truly I've waited my whole life for this moment. Mm-hmm. And that is, I think, part of how he grows into it. And you see him find his stride in a way that is probably like he has rehearsed it his whole life. He was not rehearsing it in the morning just before and I'm feeling great about it. 
it's like he was able to slot into that because that's all he's ever really focused on. He wasn't wor- worrying about, you know, where does Roman fit into this? Where does Shiv fit into this? Hannibal has just always wanted the crown. I have what I view to be a personal failing that I'm really rooting for Kendall. I brought this up last week. It's not something I've had at any point throughout the show. I just think at a certain point, God, he manages to do the thing. He's terrible. They're all terrible. But Kendall manages to put it together and to seem most like the person who could make this work. Certainly in this case, you look at all of the relationships. Shiv has got Matson's ear. Roman has got Minkin's ear. Kendall stands up there, and both of those people have to recognize immediately he is the person who is actually best suited to do business with both of us. Yep. Yep. And I think that's something that is, again, comes from the writing. Just Kendall's speech is incredible, but Jeremy Strong is on another level. Like, I I don't know if there has been a leading performance. Like it is this and Gandolfini and Sopranos. Like <laughs> that's honestly where I'm at at this point. That's it. They're the two best leading male performances in the history of television. You said it last week, but it's Kendall's show. Like even before this episode, I was with you. That's Kendall's show. It's so Kendall's show. Now, like it's such an incredible eulogy and just like like you said, the writing and just impeccable when it comes to talking about how his dad was a brute but he made life happen and that that's all logan ever did was there is no idle moments with logan he did everything to the extreme to get the deal done for the better of the business and making life happen almost seems like a plug for life plus because he talks about the amusement park he talks about tv he talks about movies he talks about everything yes logan was the patriarch per se of American entertainment for the last 30, 30, 40, 50 years. And I think that's where Kendall kind of hoped to be himself through the years, hoping that he can be the man and get the vim that Logan had. But it's just like, it was, it was, it was really, really, really good. Yeah, I'm hoping to get some living plush uh, plus accommodations at some point pretty soon. Um, <laughs> it felt very similar to the uh, hotel that Adam and I recorded uh, last night's cruising for a bruising in. That's what I imagine living plus to, to be. And so, you know, that that speech gave Kendall uh, the reminder that, you know, sometimes he'll make a fool of himself. Sometimes he, he might rap when rapping is not oh. the proper way to deliver a message. But you know what he he can go out there and every now and again and actually probably more often than not when he's in the right headspace and you know not having one of his substance abuse battles he's the most the most ready roy to at least cosplay the role of top dog and if you fake it until you make it one day you make it maybe I think they're all smart to some extent. I don't know. Does, does everyone agree with that? I mean, they do, they frequently do stupid things, but I don't necessarily view that as like a lack of intelligence as much as maybe a failure to understand what it takes to get things done when, you know, everything isn't on your silver spoon anymore. I like, think I, they're I, different levels of smart. I think Kendall I, is the smartest and it's shit. That's my point. R- Roman like has smart moments. He's like the closest to being not smart for me. 
Uh, I, I don't know because I think I, I think his Roman smarts... Roman could technically be the smartest, but he's not smart enough to stop himself from just making jokes every two seconds. I think it's like when, his... when he's when he just switches it on, he has had moments where he makes very good decisions. He's good socially. Like he has a good read on people. And I think his ability to call out bullshit when he sees it and kind of understand where kind of the bullshitters are coming from and when he's getting bullshitted is its own type of smart. But I think you said it rest this said it best that he's not smart enough to get out of his own way. Well, I think he might just call everything anyone ever says to him bullshit. If he which doesn't is, like it, it's bullshit. Which it's, is it's which is fair because like it's the bit from last week too, which is false flag, false flag. Like that is that is Roman. That's how yeah. Roman deals with every interaction. It's like you're telling me. But funny enough, like in Kendall's eulogy, he talks about this idea of that someone has to act and someone has to like Logan just not taking no for an answer. That is certainly part of Logan. That's in Roman, right? Uh, so yeah, that that element of it is interesting. Um, to move on because the episode keeps on going. Is it, we're doing better than I thought here. Maybe it's worse because this is going longer. Well, let's keep the show on the road. Um, Kendall gets the nod of approval from all of the important people on the way out. From Madsen, most importantly, from Jared Menken, who seems particularly impressed, although we can talk about whether anything with Menken is actually real or does it even matter that Kendall impresses him? I, I think is maybe the better way of looking at it. I think he probably looks at Kendall and is like, yeah, that guy. But also, it doesn't matter to him. None of these people matter to him. He's basically the president. Do you want to talk about Shift's speech or no? Sure. I, I was, I was, well, I, I don't know if there's a whole lot that I, I just have two things. bigger picture, I, but we can. I, I'm sure. fine moving on. I just had two things before. No, we let's do, do it. The dejected look from you and after Kendall's speech is the look of a man who understands that he just had his speech usurped by Kendall. Like if you would have like ended all the images there, you probably would have been the most appropriate for Logan, given how shitty of a person he is. But then once Kendall gives his speech and everyone kind of, I forget if they clap or what sort of reaction was to it, but he gets applause. He does. Yeah, he does. And, Ewan is like looking down to his right, is kind of looking at the middle of the floor essentially. Like, God damn it. He really just gave Logan all of his flowers and I just tried to take them all away. I, I think it's I, that Kendall can put can give voice to all of the things that he hated about Logan. It's right, like, exactly. That that still lives on, I think is maybe yep. more than anything. Like he knows he starts his own Ewan, his own eulogy by being like, what kind of people won't let a brother speak, you know, for fear of yeah. the, the stock price. Yep. So he doesn't have a high opinion of them, but I like they're not in close proximity. Very well. Like maybe he doesn't have an idea of yeah. the intellect there or doesn't take them seriously, which is, has honestly been something that from outside of the company is a constant source of conversation too. The other, the other thing that you just made me think of there to talk about Frank, two Frank moments when Roman is about to get up to give his speech. The first person he recognizes it's going to go wrong is Frank. And Frank, your son. Yeah, that's someone. <laughs> he's like, are you, "Are you okay, son?" Which we've we've seen in recent weeks. Frank regularly um, describing Kendall as his son. Um, which yeah, Roman says, "I'm not your son." Um, when Kendall finishes his speech and we get that shot back out of the crowd and people are clapping, Frank is beaming from ear to ear. He is so proud of Kendall. 
I just, again, oh, that was interesting and really telling. There's lots of stuff here that I think it's easy to look too much into as we're trying to piece together who is going to have the biggest chips to play next week or who has whose vote when it comes down to it. Um, but I, I think there's a just there's a real genuine bond that exists beyond any of this between Frank and Kendall. And Roman pushes Frank away. Like he he goes for his support yeah. in a cynical way. And then when Frank, who I do think is just maybe a slightly better human than some of the people on this show, tries to connect genuinely, he pushes him away and he basically insults him with that. And it's like, Roman, yeah. you just you don't know a good thing when it's right in front of your face. Like you're if you want to get if you want to get Frank on your side, you've got to be a human being with Frank. Uh, yeah. It'll work work with other people to go the other direction. Anything else on Sh- on Shiv? Then I like I I think I think Shiv's is some of the best emotional content for just we mentioned it earlier, highlighting again when the damage was done to these kids and the fact they've never moved on from that point. I think Shiv Shiv's eulogy showed that she really I kind of embodied her difficult relationship with Logan that she really probably hated him a lot of the time because of how hard it was to be a woman in Logan's life. And I don't think that's put to put subtly at any moment. Like she literally just says how hard it is to be a woman with in Logan's life. And they pan to the wives who are kind of like nodding in agreement. And I think it was just a lot of her hearing both Kendall and Ewan's eulogies and really coming to terms with her own feelings and that it was just so hard to be her, his daughter that I think it all caught up to her and that it was just, I, I thought hers would be longer, frankly. And I think that's maybe the reasoning of why I get like understood it being shorter is that she was still wrestling over her feelings with her father and her lasting relationship with Logan, given that it was just hard to earn his approval. You talked about it early, earlier, Adam, in one of your points of just trying to get daddy's love. And as opposed from Caroline, where it's all games, whatnot, Logan will tell you how it is. She said it, they would yell and scream outside of his office just to get his attention. He'd come outside and yell and call them terrifying. And I think that's still the result of a woman trying to come to terms with her own grieving and trauma of not so much getting loved by her dad. (laughs) Yeah, and her exact line, I can't remember it exactly, but was something to the extent of, you know, he couldn't even couldn't even wrap his head around the idea of a woman like uh, yeah you could you couldn't get a whole woman into his head that's it exactly which i just butchered i just thought that was an incredible piece of writing in part because it is so succinct and just it's like yeah that's logan roy and that is where you get the reaction shot of jerry and carolina um and i wouldn't even say necessarily nodding in agreement as much as both like just, Almost getting just, flashbacks to war, like it's yeah. Jerry in particular, like just way off in the distance. Um. Okay, will we move on from the church? Yep, I'm fine with it. From the church, we head to the mausoleum. The five million dollar mausoleum. Uh, good deal. It's a good deal. Good deal. Purchased good deal. from a com pet food supplier. <laughs> I don't think it was pet food. It was it was definitely pet supplies of yeah, some sort. Like just just incredible all around. Very impressive, I have to say. Um, 
the idea of a mausoleum, you know what? I like it. Um, I I wasn't personally, you know, considering cryogenics and the way that Connor is. <laughs> uh, but if someone was to present me with a five million mausoleum, be like, hey, this is yours. I'd be like, yeah, you know, cool. That is better. That is better than the ground. Um, Notably, Shiv calls it cat food Ozymandias, which, which is one of them. So fantastic. good. So good. This whole scene is really good. Really, yeah. every scene is really good. So that's a reductive thing to say. But it's it is a break for some humor. Oh. Um, but also like uh again, they're they're connecting in a way that is like so human and normal for siblings that removed from everything they've got going on, and even more so because it is on the day of their father's funeral, I just think it lands in a really heavy way. I say this. Roman is not connecting at all. Roman is hiding scared like a little boy. Doesn't outside. enter the mausoleum. Like that's, again, it's one of those, it's the grieving thing. And like, the the only thing the, he says when the, the idea comes up of, you know, them spending the rest of their lives um, or the rest of eternity would be a better way of putting it in the mausoleum with Logan. Uh, Connor is quick to lay claim to the top bunk. Top bunk. If, Will is, <laughs> if Will is good with it. Uh, I can't remember exactly what Shiv's response is. Uh, Hendel says he had trouble finishing a scotch in his presence. Yeah. And then, like, as a whisper from the door, Roman says, he made me breed funny. Yeah. Which, again, you're just like, this little boy, just this child That's outside, nice. afraid to enter and talking like... Yeah, you know, it's, it's probably a good thing that eventually you are talking about the fact that, I don't know, you hyperventilated in the presence of your father for all these years. Yeah. Um, yeah, amazing. But just a really, really strong scene. And once they leave the mausoleum, maybe inspired by uh, all of the buried bodies all around him, Handel goes full killer. Yeah. He just goes for it. He calls over. I know Nomak's going to be very excited with this part of the discussion. He calls over. What exactly does he call him? Is it Big Big H? I I are you're skipping a tiny bit that I want to talk go about, on. but we'll go there before we get to to this to this part that I really want to talk about. There is the interaction between Carl Frank and Shiv. Star, you're right. And Shiv does not get any sort of closure with her father coming from the discussion I just talked about and that it was so hard to be Logan's daughter. She goes over to, to Carl and Frank, two men that have known more about Logan than most people would probably care to know about Logan. And they go, she asked them, was he really like who people say he was? And they basically give her the smoke. Just like, I yeah, disagree. he was I no like this. I've got a like, I've got a take on this. Okay, I I think, I think you're right. I think you're right on one of the people. I think what she wanted to hear was an affirmation that he was difficult to be around. But yeah. they say he's difficult to be around, but he was a good person, which is just the most bold faced lie that Carl could have ever freaking told Shiv, and well, she recognized it. Like she she looked at him and went, okay. And did her shiv short little uh, disarming agreement 
and then left. Like, I, I think they couldn't have been more cold in how they actually told Shiv how Logan was because either they're too stupid to understand that he wasn't a good person or they just kept up the facade of Logan for their own benefit and didn't give Shiv the time of day. Gary said it to Carl think- later or earlier in the episode um, when they were talking among themselves, when the C-suite were talking about, like, do you miss him? Right. And Gary accused Carl of Stockholm Syndrome. Yeah. And I, I, I genuinely believe that's what it is because when I rewatched, I was paying attention to that scene. Carl believes what he's saying there. Carl is not... Carl, one, takes the lead. I, I yeah. believe his line was he was a he salty does. old dog or something, right? That was... Yep, that's right. That That's kind of how he framed it. Uh, and then he kind of looks to Frank and Frank kind of just like shrugs and nods and is like, oh, yeah, Frank, Frank is Frank is just insane. Again, Frank, Frank saw through that at the time. Maybe this is a point, because again, for all those kind of characters on this, like if the show was able to run and run and run, there's so much. It's so interesting there about how Logan is dead, how those people reflect on their part in all this. Now, Frank seems like someone who is maybe like, yeah. Yeah, none of that was very great, and I don't really have an appetite for too much of that again. Um, but to me, Frank is Frank is beaten to the punch by Carl, who I think believes what he's saying, even though it's quite clearly not true. Right, and Frank then just kind of goes along with it in a pretty resigned sense. I I don't think it's like this united sense of let's not. Let's soften the blow for Shiv because it's her father's funeral. I I really think Carl just Carl's on another planet, which is a part of what makes (laughs) Carl so magical. Yeah, yeah. I think also Frank has been on death row with Logan as the executioner and left so many times. So at this Mm -hmm. point, it's just like I keep surviving, and now Mm -hmm. my tormentor to a degree is gone. Sometimes, like obviously, he's got the relationship with Kendall that's got a lot of deepness there and is something that could be nurtured in the right sense but knowing this show it won't be and then also there's a sense of relief from for Frank and Logan not being there I think and then there's also the sense with some of the other Roy's or Manning that like how much really do I still want to say to make you feel better I'm doing my best and like he might just not have it as much anymore because he's so tired of it all right but yes, he does call him Big H for the next scene. It is Big H, okay. It is Big H. Kendall pin- pins down Hugo, who has really emerged as honestly more important than I think he's ever been in any previous season. Like he's got a lot of screen time, more than any of the C-suite. Like he has been the guy who has worked in in a variety of ways. He corners Hugo, tells Hugo, "I want you to leak a story to the press." To which Hugo responds, "I am the droid that you're looking for." Um, then Kendall details, which is, you know, essentially the truth, or at least the truth as Kendall sees it, that there is internal opposition coming from one of the family members. I believe he says one, which we know it's more than that, but obviously that's not how Kendall's viewing things anymore. Uh, One of the family members, Matson is trying to get the company for a song. And for all of these reasons, the value should be going up and he's trying to just push this through. Then he tells Hugo that he is going to be the king. He's going to be king solo. And they're going to be scraps at the table. 
He tells him, I want you to be my dog. Yes, he does. I want you to be my dog. This is the most Logan thing he said, I think, that I can remember. And it's just the start of it all. Like, it's there's no sugarcoating in this line. I you believe, are below me. I believe it was the Prestige TV podcast. I, I listened to a few pods today. I'm, I think it was the Prestige TV pod um, that someone noted. The, the actual most Logan line comes just a couple of seconds later because he says, I want you to be my dog. Um, you will get the scraps from the table, but the scraps will be worth millions. Are you happy? That is the most Logan line. To just be yeah. like, you piece of shit. This is what you are to me. This is what I'm going to do for you. Are you happy? To which, Numak, Hugo responds... Woof, woof. God, it was so fucking good. It was so good. Like the the, the slimy snake that is Hugo as the the PR person for uh for Waystar. Oh my god, he's he even looks like a worm. He's got this he, big round bulbous head. I... He's it's just a skinny <laughs> neck, and he's just a skinny human being. And his daughter's insider trading, and Kendall already owns his ass. <laughs> And he goes, there will be millions for you if you be my dog. And this slimy garbage human just woof, woof. Not even a second of thought. He's The second he heard millions, everything else did not matter. He was Kendall's right-hand man for the rest of time. He's going to have a collar and a leash next week, next Sunday. God, I hope so. Uh, he's, uh, Fisher Stevens is doing such a great job on this that I'm worried he's going to ruin Fisher Stevens in the Wes Anderson universe for me when he like pops up and I'm like oh it's Hugo <laughs> uh, he's a really great actor who's had just kind of a weird and interesting varied up and down career that's kind of cool to see you got an increasingly meaty role in a show like this we're nearly there after the muslin they go to the reception are we? Well, we're closer than we were. <laughs> this is, uh, I think this is all you knew. Like, I always get pinned with this kind of stuff. I feel like. No, this is me because I have a lot to say this episode. I told you I wanted to record at 4 30 in the morning last night. I am certainly glad that we did not do that. <laughs> um, they get to the reception. Kendall has already got his dog. Now he needs a heavy. Um, he needs really though what we're doing here is we're collecting allies and the most important allies and in this case Colin is the ally outside of the family which Kendall might be naive to trust his family members but Colin has dirt on Kendall Colin knows what happened Colin literally knows where the bodies are buried and who's responsible yep totally forgot about that until just now by the way but it makes a lot more sense so Kendall sees uh sees Colin, but has also been thinking about Colin and hearing about Colin because he's able to tell him, "Oh, you've been seeing a head shrinker," uh, was how he put it. Colin has obviously been spilling the beans, trying to work through his life's work, his friendship with this strange old rich man who said he was his best friend. And again, I believe this was on the Prestige TV podcast. This was something that was kind of uncovered on Reddit. People took a closer look at Logan's will from when that was revealed. Um, Colin got a Rolex. That's what was in it for Colin, which, I mean, I'm sure Logan had some pretty expensive Rolexes, 
But also, this is a multi multi billionaire who's like, "You're my best friend, you know. You're you're my best pal." And he's like, "Here, have a watch," which in its own right, I think, is kind of interesting. Um, Kendall recruits Colin to be his guy. He's, you know, if you're gonna be Logan, you've got to put Logan's team back together, and you've got to put yourself in Logan's seat. Colin's a really good character. Again, just like of a kind of a nothing character who is capable of just coming to the fore, being elevated at key moments. Just so, so impressive. The show's consistently able to do that. I and guess again, just Kendall doing exactly what he should do if he's going to end up winning because it's it's not quite a keep your enemies closer situation, but it's you know who's bread to butter, so to speak, and people that A, you know can be loyal because he was to Logan, and B, have that information on you. Pretty important person to have in your pocket. I think that's a great way to put it, of like he's kind of just replicating who he knows were the most loyal to to Logan. And that's Hugo for the last couple of seasons, but then for sure, Colin, and then for better or worse, always Frank. He could have told Frank to kick rocks, eat this dirt, but hey, come back. I still need you. And Frank's always right there. It's always for a big sum of money, but that doesn't mean that he didn't come back and didn't serve Logan as he needed to. I think ultimately, if you can get Frank, you can probably get Carl. Yeah. Like well, Carl he, talk, talks a big think, game, but if all of a sudden, if everyone else is on one side of the table, Carl is going to quickly kind of position himself over there. I think he got Carl after the live plus uh, speech because Carl's pretty much entire livelihood was on the line with that and with the numbers he was trying to inflate with the subscribers. And he told him as such in the hallway and that he wasn't afraid of Kendall and Kendall went up there and knocked out of the park and the biggest shot you saw was Carl grinning ear to ear about Paul went. Gave him a big hearty congratulations afterwards, and that was kind of the last we heard of Carl's criticism to to Kendall. From there, there's only one place for Kendall to go. He's got a lot of his pieces in place. Got to go right to the top. You got to go to the soon-to-be president of the United States and make your case. Mankin um, very conveniently is just chilling. He's way out in the open here. He's ready for everyone to come and play their games. Kendall begins to make his case, but doesn't get very far before Roman appears. Uh, Greg inserts himself, thinking this is finally my chance to this get This is my FaceTime with the president. <laughs> Just incredible. <laughs> uh, and then, of course, Connor. Connor's going to want to catch up with his peer, you know? Uh, he can't go leave this situation without making sure... All the T's are crossed, I's are dotted on Slovenia. This is this is a really important stuff. And essentially, Kendall gets nowhere here, where he should be in a position of power, and he clearly has impressed the president, and Mencken, is worth saying, is openly mocking Roman's teary display at the funeral, yep. and certainly doesn't seem like the kind of thing that, you know, Nazi leader is going to be into in his allies is like the sniveling little boy at his dad's funeral yep but Chip swoops in here um I will say if there's one thing in the episode that kind of the believability of it for me was slightly strained it's just that 
Mencken sees Shiv, someone who he knows is completely opposed to his ideologies. I will also stress, Shiv is a woman, and he just lets her kind of sidle up and take her away from that group, and things evolve from there with Matson. I'm not really nitpicking too hard at this. These are the kind of things you've got to do in TV, or particularly at this point, to make the whole show tick. Yeah. But I, I think the logical progression of what happens here is maybe not all there, even though I personally don't know if that will matter next week. I, d- I don't think people will be reflecting on this for years to come as, oh my God, Succession ruled it because that just came out of nowhere because I think it will do away with it just as quickly. Um, But what we see is Matson pitch himself to Mencken. My God, that guy has a problem talking to human beings. Yeah, I think that was my biggest takeaway from this monologue was for a character who's been selling spoiled goods for the last eight episodes here, he didn't do a good job of selling himself to Mencken. Like, I think they really upped the writing for his monologue to like, hey, make this shit stink. I, I think that's stink. the most the most musky's been so far, which is obviously oh, yeah. has been yeah. openly referenced as one of the key people. It's like he is full on swaggering shit talker if you put him in a room where he's clearly the most powerful person in the room. All of a sudden you're one to one with the person who's gonna be president and he is just a mess. He is not yeah. competent, he is not smart, he is not convincing. And yeah, I guess it makes me curious as to where things unfold from there. Shiv, to her credit, is pretty quick on her feet and she does what she can to save it. And by all accounts, mm-hmm. she does save it and she sells herself and how she'll fit in and how she could be an ally to this person who she absolutely despises and everything he stands for. And Mencken is swept off, I believe, to go to Ohio. And the siblings and everyone else have left at the reception to kind of just deal with the aftermath. At this point, Tom resurfaces. Tom basically made me cry here. Uh, Matthew Matthew McFadden has just an incredible power in that that performance is really something else. When when he cracked, I was like, oh shit. Yeah. Yeah. like hit me in the chest, or like, yeah, Tom, you have you 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 have been through a lot, you know, ruining democracy and just you know trying to snake your way up this ladder. Um, Before we get to in the Toms, can I talk about what I messaged you in in your DMs last night? What was the, that the, new? After so the, much the, of it, the Come writing on. of this this the show has been so good, and I feel like I'm not sure if everyone else noticed it or if everyone else kind of just didn't think of it. They cut from Mencken being shooed away to Ohio. He's like, he's leaving the party. Then the transition to within the same scene at the reception between Tom coming in is this pan up from the street level where there's rioters running through the street. Like chaos on the street level is happening. Like there's that. That's why the numbers got pushed out. There's rioting in the city. They pan up all the way to the top floor of this white ivory tower. And here are all the elites acting like nothing is going on. Nothing's happening. Everything's just fine. We're all up here having champagne, talking amongst ourselves, being amongst the elite. Like 
it's the it's the little details like that in this show that have been present throughout the entire all, all the seasons that just make it one of the best shows on TV ever. Like, yeah, obviously they live in an ivory tower. They've always lived in an ivory tower, but to really push it home, they just made it evident, and it's such like a, a clear way of putting it without actually saying it, and just like as a little tidbit to throw off and like, yeah, these are the highest, most elite people in the world. They don't care about what's happening on the street level and all of your rioting and all of your protesting over this sham of an election that just happened doesn't matter to them. And I think it's maybe a little bit, a little bit more of a snapshot of where to get deep into it. We are as a country and that it's really basically how a lot of people feel at that street level is that none of the elites understand or have sort of any sort of empathy as to how the normal person feels. And this show I felt kind of made that example pretty apparent. I really liked it. I'm sorry. No, that's okay. <laughs> it's that's what you're here for. Um, We had different, different readings, you and I on the Shiv and Tom interactions. I don't yes, know if you want did. to give your take on that first, because so, I, I still don't see it. I have rewatched and I'm not I'm not quite seeing it your way. So but there's Mike. This could be another, have, you know, let's get him out of the let's get him out of the coffin situation. I have always like thought that Tom was the like again, he's an, a Midwestern person. I think they've written him as such and done a good job of making sure that he has those Midwestern qualities shine through once in a blue moon. And I think Maybe that's just the Midwestern me recognizing a Midwestern person, but he always seemed like a, a man who wanted a family, who wanted to settle down, not be some big corporate big like chill and just be a dad and have a family. I think Tom has always loved the expensive things in life. Like he always had the really awesome um, lines and sort of monologues about really good food and talking about last episode about how good wine is good until you break over someone's head or whatever the line yeah. was, etc etc but i think tom has always wanted to be a parent and wanted to have kids and going back to last episode when shiv tells tom he's pregnant i think his sort of gut reaction is more of a i'm sorry to make it explicit again more of a fuck you like i've wanted this forever and now you're using it as a ploy against me to hurt me again because these two People have so much resentment for each other and it's deep, deep, deep seated resentment. And he gets there and he's clearly stressed. He he uh waves over the the server for a glass of champagne. And before they walk away, Shiv also grabs one, stares him in his soul, and starts taking drinks of it, obviously pregnant. And Tom looks at her, and I sent Adam the screenshot of the exact frame that you can see just the brokenness in Tom's eyes. And it's just a man who is so hurt that she's doesn't want this kid. Like she said it because it, because it'd be so sad, Tom, like that. You want to talk about a line breaking me is, is that one. It's just like, she's not, I don't buy it. I don't buy it as genuine. I just think that is Shiv. And that is entirely performative and everything that she it could says... be performative, but that doesn't mean that Tom wasn't, didn't have his heart ripped out of his chest like the Indiana Jones movie. <laughs> I, 
I think Tom knows though. Like that is their their whole dynamic, and Tom hates it to be clear. Like it's yeah. breaking Tom. Tom wants like a normal relationship. Uh, Shiv is incapable of that. I don't. I think Shiv might quite like that too. I just think she's literally incapable of it. But she's also not the cold bitch she says she is. No, and I I think ultimately that scene plays out that way. Like yep. that is as much as her reaching out an olive branch and going further than that and being like, you know, we're in this together. Maybe people, to some extent the... we've we've only got each other, and now there's going to be someone else who's coming in here, so we better keep each other. But I, I really like her sending him back to their apartment is absolutely as kind of sweet as this is going to get again. I think as close to Tom as Andrew will be, besides the, the mocks on Twitter, is the people at the hotel know my name and I hate it. <laughs> <laughs> That's it was like, uh, yeah. that was another a great comic relief point. But before he gets sent off to to the apartment, I think the, like this is where I just I just you and I see different like see don't see eye to eye on this sure. this partnership is because the way that Shiv looked at Tom when she was drinking the champagne is given right back to Shiv when Tom and maybe he is grieving and but I when the scene started. It really seemed like Tom was giving her two fingers to the face and said, I got to say goodbye to your dad. I was there when he died and I said goodbye. And I think her reaction to him saying that because the Tom, the, the, the Tom, the camera isn't on Tom during this. It's behind Tom looking at Shiv. And again, it's split second reactions of just heartbreaking facial expressions from um. From Sarah Snook and I forget Tom's actor's name, but Matthew McFadden. But Matthew McFadden, Matthew McFadden, that it's just God. The 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 acting is so good in that. I'm. It's just the way I saw it. the The split second of Tom looking as low as he can possibly be is the strongest part of that scene from Tom for me. The same way as it is when shiv who we just saw was still coming to terms at the eulogy of her relationship with her father and how difficult it was to be a woman in his life didn't get to say goodbye after he had just told her that they're not serious people the night before when she was basically gonna tell him to again go fuck himself and they didn't leave on good terms they they were fighting when he died and tom sticks the knife in her just the same way that she did minutes before and that's why I don't think like this whole we probably won't know how it ends anyways because there's one episode left and we don't get years worth of um re like resolution for this but we might yeah. I, ho I hope not but we might I hope not I hope not yeah but I just don't think there's a relationship for these two that's even feasible coming out of this season because they both have such deep seated resentment for other experiences that the uh, the one had or are withholding from them. I think you're viewing it though, true. Like I'm viewing it through them being shitty people, which they I are. I think you're viewing it though through the prism of like your idea of what a sustainable relationship is is completely different to those two characters who they are fucked up. Yeah. And I, I, I don't I don't disagree with your core read, but I don't think it's a game breaker for either of those people in that way. And I, I think part of what's happening is a, a kind of clever inversion in that scene of Shiv telling Tom, 
I'm pregnant and him saying, is this a tactic or whatever? Yep. She is taking him saying, I said goodbye to your father. And she is processing that in real time. And their dynamic is now, is this a tactic? It's it's not a tactic. I don't believe it is. I think that's that's two things. That's one, him saying, you know, I guess it's his own guilt. He wasn't there today, but but saying I I did get to say goodbye to him. You know, this is I know I wasn't here today, but I have said goodbye to him. And then I like genuinely yeah. getting emotion. I don't think Tom is a fake crier. No, um, I think that's genuine emotion. I and like I guess I can see that argument of it. I didn't but, come. But I, I think the, I, was... I think the other part of it though that I'd say is I also think in his head he's thinking Shiv did not get to say goodbye to him in that way and i maybe tom also let it slip here which i think was probably apparent to everyone at the time that logan was dead when the call was made and it's like yeah say goodbye to your dad um like tom might have been one of the only people who actually got to say goodbye to him while he was dying but i think that was meant as a note of comfort as in like he wasn't alone i was there i said goodbye to him now she she's not necessarily going to take it that way because she still wishes right. it was her but I, mm-hmm. I do think the intent is good there. And she definitely considers it, as you said. And I think it's framed in a way that is designed to be a mirroring of last week and maybe reversed where we are focusing on Shiv. I think we're watching Shiv's brain go, is this a tactic? But she ultimately sells in a place where she, I think, shows some care for him and sends him back to their apartment, which yeah, I puts in a different... I think they're together at the end of the next episode. I think they're... Yeah they're probably going to raise that child in a way that is, I, I don't think she's going to do the things that she told Matson she's going to do when it comes to raising a child. Yeah. But will the end outcome be that their child is just as messed up as the Roy kids are? Yeah, probably. Probably. We really are nearly there now. We are nearly there. Two, two big happenings left. I guess, I guess one big happening. Um, Kendall's already got a dog. So at this point, he decides it's time to big dog his little brother. And oh my God, dude. Just... Dude? <laughs> <laughs> Which the, 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 the fun part of this was I mentioned earlier when Kendall sat down after his eulogy and Roman sincerely apologized and Kendall's like, yeah, it's okay, it's fine. Yeah. And I think in the moment too, Kendall, part of that was this worked out great for me. You know, I got to be the hero. I got the applause. So he's fine with that. But at this point, Roman has clearly lost Mankin. Yeah. And it's just like, you blew it. You blew it. You fucked it up. I think it's pointedly a coded, you blew it. Like, I took it as face value as well as you blew the eulogy. Like I, oh it, yeah, it, that's what he's it, talking about. Yeah, right. Well, that's what I'm saying is like, but not like because it it seemed like throughout the entirety of their conversation, like yeah, you screwed their their relationship with Mankin. Like this was you blowing it, but you also separately, even though it served the same purpose, blew the eulogy and like it. Talk about again another Logan incident. Just no time or place of when it is appropriate to really cut eyes with somebody no and... no i disagree this is oh. this is the ultimate logan move because this is the time and this is the place because that's what i'm saying what, is like but what what would logan like 
this is ruthless in the way that Logan is ruthless. But when Logan did this to Roman, it was because he knows the response this will get from Roman, which is it makes Roman subservient. It it will get him on board. It will get a reaction. He'll row behind and he wants to please. He'll want to show that, no, that's not me. Let me make up for that to Kendall. This is his way of getting Roman on side to me. Like it's it's completely humiliating him, but it's it's humiliating him in a way that he saw his father humiliate him over and over and over mm-hmm. again. He saw the response that that gets out of Roman. Oh, the the pain in Roman's voice. I I don't I think that might be a lasting scene for me. I'll probably remember like that scene and just the taken abackness that Roman is sort of feeling that his own brother. He's like. I expected it from dad. This isn't him quoted. Like he didn't say this, but like he expects it from Logan, but for Kendall, his brother who he's been with for years and years and years and years. And they thought they had some sort of partnership to be coming from him. And that's sort of just punching down in that moment that just mere hours after his trauma kind of unfolds is just, wow. And just incredible writing. From there, we see Frank, Carl, Jerry, watching a video in the corner, which is a video that was filmed by, I think it was Ray, who's like Hugo's assistant, kind of. He's like some PR person uh, of Roman crying his way through the eulogy. And Carl is definitely getting a kick out of it. Jerry is dying inside. And we're definitely going to see the... I don't know if reconciliation is the right way to play that, but certainly a motherly instinct for Roman. We kept getting the reaction shots with Jerry in this episode that I think a lot of people have been like, Jerry's just kind of being sidelined. Jerry has the cards to play, and maybe she doesn't play them in like a political or a company way. Uh, maybe it is just an actually human way, and she'll come out of this as one of the more decent characters, which not the not the highest bar in succession, but I think she probably lays claim to that already. Um, but yeah. clearly, the actual care she feels for Roman in the way, say, that Frank cares for Kendall, although comparing Jerry and Roman and Frank and Kendall is problematic for a variety of reasons. Um, I think that kind of comes true there. And with all this, Roman flees off into the night um, where I don't know, Antifa are outside on the streets. Odd. Um, him and his supporters are not taking the election being stolen from them all that well. They're protesting, and I guess an interesting scene for a few reasons. Kind of weirdly surreal, absurdist, almost dreamlike, like a little, a little out of touch of what feels like the norm for succession. But I think what it does do is one, it places Roman in a spot where he's being confronted by the people that he just didn't believe were real. Yeah, he's just he's just like, yeah, who cares? Like, what are people going to do? What are they going to say? The country's going to be fine. Nothing's going to happen. Here we are. It's staring him in the face. Um, And also, again, he's so privileged that I think he just doesn't quite grasp that. He's probably going to get the shit kicked out of him. He just goes right into the middle of it. I was surprised he didn't. Like, I don't know what exactly I thought would happen given this like just the purpose of the show. But like I thought he'd go out there and they'd all recognize him and they'd 
would just beat the shit out of them. Like that's honestly what I thought was like this was going towards, but I understand that it probably makes sense they don't put Roman in the hospital for the last episode of the season. Yeah, it's not succession. It's another show would have done it, but it's right. not succession. And I told you this last night again in DMs that I'm so, so, so happy that they didn't lean into like the protesting and the writing of the election as like a main focal point of the show. It's always in the background. And I'm just really glad it they didn't try to do it because I feel like it would have gone poorly. Like there's nothing that ever really comes good about trying to portray protesters of something that's very real and something that already kind of happened. Like Are you I, saying I just, you're disappointed that next week isn't gonna be on the streets of Milwaukee where the protests are obviously at their their fire? Not disappointed. Just ha- I'm happy that because like the, a big teaser for the show, right, was this episode was Roman sure. standing in the middle of the protesters, like screaming, like whatever he whatever he yells, just in the middle of them, arms out. And I was like, oh, they're going to make this like a theme throughout the season. And I wasn't excited for it because I just didn't think they had the capacity and the bandwidth to really make sure it, it hits how it should hit, given that it's a show about billionaires. So I'm just glad that it played the role it did and wasn't a focal point. It re- it really goes to the it goes to speaking about how great the writers are for the show. All right, we've worked our way through the episode. Prediction time. Let's look ahead. See, Andrew, I'm gonna. I'll I'm, let you guys go. Yeah, Mike, you just no, you, no, you hold you guys on go. There. You guys you hold go. on. I'm letting Andrew talk because I'm worried that we've lost him. I'm worried that we've <laughs> lost him. I don't know if he was prepared for the pod to be this long. To be fair, was I prepared? No, but I'm always prepared to some extent. Uh, Andrew, what do you think is going to happen next week? What is our end game on succession? I have um, one of two minds about this. One is to stick to what I said last week, which is nobody wins, at least none of the Roy's. Do I stick to that? Do I abandon my prediction like I did to Argentina? in the World Cup, only to see them prevail. I'm going to say... What does it mean to win is is the counter to that for you? Like... Yeah, that's another thing. I'm going to say... I'm going to say somehow, some way, we find out that the deal is successfully going to be pushed away, and Kendall assumes his spot as the, I guess, CEO of Waystar Royco and everything around it. And the last shot of the episode, or the series we get, is not a look of contentment, but rather a the graduate-style acceptance of getting the thing you thought you always wanted doesn't feel as good as you thought it was going to be. And therefore, Kindle remains dead inside. More accurately, I think my original prediction is what it's going to be. But I'm going out on a limb because I think that the Kindle tea leaves and the thing about it being his show are just they're they're strong lately, in my opinion. Roman is out. Like, there's no way for Roman back in at the top table. This is this is a Shiv Kendall face off. 
Matson has agreed to Shiv's plan. He has not at any point agreed to Shiv. Shiv is going to get shivved. There's a reason we've called this character Siobhan Shiv the whole way throughout this show. And it's going to be paid off in its most pronounced way in this final episode. She'll get shivved by Madsen. She may get shivved by Tom. We'll see. The deal will go through. The kids will lose the company. Kendall will be CEO, but he will be US CEO. That's my prediction. I think he is the person to work with Matson. He is the person to work with Minkin. He will be in what looks like the top seat, what might on some days feel like the top seat, but they will have lost the company in the way that they all dreamed of having it. Uh, if you want to, the, the movie that I keep, and I'm not alone, it keeps, keeps coming up. I'm seeing it everywhere, but a lot of the vibes that have been in recent episodes, they are very apparent. And I do think the whole setup is kind of, the setup is setting up for it. I think we could get we could get your graduate prediction, Andrew. There could be a graduate like shot on Candle to finish this whole show. I'm just gonna bet that we get a Godfather finish to lead into it. That the door closes, Shiv, Roman are on the outside, and Kendall's left in the top seat, but really, you know, he's got one phone that's a hotline to Sweden, to his boss, and another phone that's a hotline to another boss in the White House. Uh, I think that's I think Kendall is going to win. They're going to give Kendall some version of what he wants, but ultimately these kids are going to have blown it. They're going to have lost the company. They're going to have lost not their inheritance because if the company sold, they'll make out okay, but it's not what they wanted. It's not the vision for all of this that they had, and it's not what their dad would have wanted either is the company getting into someone else's hands. Well, I guess it is. He tried to do it. Um, but yeah, that's my prediction. I'm notoriously not good with predicting how shows end. I'm actually very bad at it. And throughout this series, I've not even been able to wrap my head around what a prediction of how it's like seasons end or how things play out at all. I just I just can't do it. So with that being said, I think the one of the final scenes in the show will be um Kendall sitting in Logan's desk and kind of like that sort of front-facing shot, zoom in from mid-room to right before the desk of just him, and then like a little smile works if he ends up being CEO. But um, as to how I think if they get the company or not, I honestly don't have the slightest. I could see it going either way, and I'm just ready for this ride, dude. Like, I'm so excited for the last episode that it's going to be a sad time because it's, it's one of my favorite shows, possibly favorite show of all time ending, but man alive has it been a ride. Yeah. We had the conversation last week and I think it's moved a step closer to, you know, completing this without messing it up. It's amazing. It's completely, they've, I, I, they've I done said this to Andrew point... earlier. Go, go on. No, go. I said, Andrew, I think this is the last TV show. <laughs> I, I, I mean that sincerely like we're gonna get a lot of tv shows like we do i thrones was always kind of pinpointed as kind of an end of a everyone is watching this thing everyone is engaged yeah. not everyone is watching this but a lot of people are and a lot of people are engaged 
And a lot of money goes into the show and there's a lot of creative freedom and there's an unbelievable cast of actors. And honestly, I think the reason why every episode in this season has been like, holy shit, holy shit. And as you said, maybe in other seasons, there could be an episode in Umac where you're like, yeah, whatever, give or take that episode. Everyone here. It's because Jesse Armstrong was just like, yeah, end of the show. This is where I yeah. see the end. And it doesn't happen anymore. And honestly, with the way, not to get into all of that, particularly even though we're over two hours in, uh, but the way Warner is shaping up under Zaslov and the way that may affect HBO, I don't think that level of, like, the dominant conversations in the last week are about, like, will AI replace writers? Well, maybe the best written show of all time is airing its final few episodes. Like, it's... I I, th- I think this this is possibly... TV has probably peaked, but this is its last great high point. I, I really think there's a chance of that. Not that it may never rebound, but I think there's an implosion that's going to happen through a whole variety of factors. Again, a pod for another time. I don't know when the next time we'll get a show like this. Because honestly, it it had been a while too, because Trones fumbled on the quality element of this towards the end. Everyone watched it, yeah. but by the end most of those people hated what had been done to it like it's been a long time since the show had this level of critical acclaim this level of audience approval it, that's just it's pretty unimpeachable I, th- I think it's to call it the last tv show i don't think it's so far off but i i do think that like you just don't know what you have to have it right like between sopranos being one of the greatest shows of all time in the early 2000s when it end 2008 9 to then Breaking Bad start taking over that th- those reigns and being the show everybody's watching. Then to Game of Thrones, and now to your point, not everybody's watching Succession, but a lot of people are watching Succession. You just don't know what you have, and I think HBO is a great place to start with that. Um, I guess old HBO. Now, as you're listening to this, listeners, it's now officially Max. When when is... is the next time like an original? Because this show was slow in finding an audience because it had to be. When's the yeah. next time an original show like this is going to come along? Like, they just right. don't get made anymore. No one's giving, yeah. being like, yeah, sure, go shoot this show on film where the biggest star is Brian Cox. And it's right. about, like, the Murdochs. Who the hell's going to watch that? Yeah. So, I think, I think you're right. But, yeah, it's just a, what an amazing run. What an amazing run. Andrew, you got like I don't know, ten minute closing monologue queued up or uh I appreciate a show that goes out on its own terms on top. That's what I was alluding to earlier. Like, are we gonna miss it? Yes. But would we rather see it die a hero rather than <laughs> live long enough to become the villain? Yes. So I'll miss it, but I've loved it and I'm glad they're doing it like this. Allegedly at the table read when everyone learned this news. Some people got calls beforehand. Uh, but Jesse Armstrong said, here's the plan for season five. And season four is the final season of the show. And that's how it actually, it, it was a decision that was, me just decide this is it. You know, I think this is a good spot to leave it as such. Which also I think people should... <laughs> maybe I'm getting ahead of what could be like a Sopranos like ending uh, for some people I think people should consider that for the ending next week maybe that is the thing that can lead us to definitively rule out time jumps there was a plan in place for a season 5 here like hmm. 
even if that was just for the characters in the end, that the actors had a sense of, well, this is where my character goes, or that was something that he had thought of and then just decided, no, I think this is the spot to stop telling this story, which just it doesn't happen. It's, I like it's that. Really, it's really bold and ballsy, but just being like, yeah, this is the best version of my story. Why do another season? I like that if they can stick the landing. They well, are... We're very close. It, they are through their their bars routine, I was and they are the going going for the dismount, and all they have to do is just stick it, and it'll be probably the best show of all time, frankly. All right. On that note, we will be back next week to talk about the succession finale. Maybe Numak will be back. We'll see how schedules work out. If not, I'm sure. We'll get Jordan or I'm Ty. Pretty... If Numak is back, I don't know if Andrew will be. Uh, or if Jordan or Ty will be volunteering. It might be just you... Numak and I gone 12 hours. On this you and me, Adam. $10,000 of podcasts. <laughs> $10,000. hours. You and me. The succession pods all the time. Uh, we will be back to talk succession. Before that, later in the week, Andrew is going to talk about his own personal odyssey to see the greatest film about an odyssey this year Bo's Afraid we're going to talk about Bo's Afraid in the films of Ari Aster Hereditary Midsommar all of that later in the week you excited for that one Andrew? I am I made it very hard on myself and uh, it's going to feel very rewarding to get that podcast in the world more on that later in the week until then make sure you subscribe to us wherever you get your podcast let's make time for this you should also subscribe to the rest of the GSPM pods Eurostep Podcast Network, the main feed, home to all things Milwaukee books. Eurostep with Ty and Rowan. There's a Eurostep episode that went up early this morning that is kind of out of date, but you should listen to it anyway because there's lots of good stuff in there too. And there is also a crossover episode with Ty and I that went up immediately after that one to react to the news that broke since. So, you know, listen to the first one, and then you've got the add-on, you get the full picture. Two books pods waiting for you if you haven't listened already. Talking to Tundra, tell us what's going on with Talking to Tundra, with the world of the Green Bay Packers now. The middle of the offseason. But Jordan Love is gearing up to be the next 30-year franchise QB of the Packers, so... 30-year? Wow. That's right. That's right. That's ambitious. Well, they just keep extending the age of when these quarterbacks can play. So why not throw a 60-year-old quarterback out there? Tom Brady was damn near 50 when he's done. So, <laughs> yep, talking Tundra, me and Jordan. Got all the good stuff, Packers. So go check it out. And if you love listening to talk about injuries, Andrew and I have a podcast called Cruising for Bruising, where we talk about the Milwaukee Brewers after every series. And uh... Shoulder hurts. Not great. Not great uh, news on that front. No, so we know. Guys... We know. I mean, we're already queued up for news and notes, which is how we start every podcast where we talk about another player going down. And I think we've missed one news and notes. We've had to only skip past it once, maybe in like the last 18 episodes. So things are going great. Um, the Brewers are the NL Central leader somehow. How long that lasts? We'll see. But go Brewers. Listen to Cruiser for Brewers. For all other things, GSPN, go to gspn.info. Until next time, thanks again to all of you for listening. Thank you, Numak. No problem. Thank you, guys. Thank you, Andrew. Thanks, Adam.
Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.